Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I am Jenna Ellis and President Biden has announced he is going to visit Hawaii. Uh, According to The Hill, President Biden will travel to Hawaii next week to meet with first responders and tour the damage from the catastrophic wildfires on the island as the death toll continues to rise. At least 106 deaths have been confirmed as of Wednesday morning, but officials still anticipate the number to climb as the effort uh, recovery continues. Video footage captured by Maui residents suggest uh, downed utility lines may have caused the massive fires. If you missed my interview with Tulsi Gabbard, who was there in uh, Maui earlier this week, I would encourage you uh, to listen to that and to still continue to pray for all of the families and uh, everyone who has been affected not only by uh, the loss of loved ones, which is the worst tragedy, uh, but also the loss of their homes and um, all of these uh, significant historical sites. It's it's just uh, my heart goes out to them. And um, Tulsi also suggested that if you uh, want to help the people in Hawaii, uh, she suggested local funds that more of the money goes directly to the relief effort uh, is best. And so again, you can listen to that interview on the podcast page at AFR.net under the tab for Jenna Ellis in the morning. All right. Well, I'd like to uh, welcome in my first guest, uh, Harry uh, Scherer, who is a uh, contributing editor at the American Conservative and wrote a really great piece that I would encourage you uh, to read that is called The Other Populist in the Race, of course, talking about RFK Jr. So, uh, Harry, good morning, and thank you so much for joining me. Good morning, Jenna. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and um, so this is a really deep dive piece into um, RFK Jr., who I think has just really become a fascinating candidate to watch. And um, my friend Scott Adams, who listeners will recognize as uh, the creator of Dilbert, who has gotten you know, prolific into to politics and um, you know some other things, commented on uh, social media uh, yesterday or the day before, saying um, that he thinks that. Uh, the best candidates that have ever run um, in the race, and I think he was talking about through American history, um, are running simultaneously. And he thinks that's Donald Trump, Vivek Ramaswamy, and RFK Jr. Uh, what are your thoughts about that comparison? That that sounds like a fair comparison to me. Um, so RFK Jr., he's been of interest for me and for my colleagues at the American Conservative since his announcement really, because he's, he's addressing the interests of the magazine in many ways, including reckless interventionism in foreign wars, um, a distaste for the administrative state as it currently stands, and the evident corruption that exists between government and business, most clearly evident in the corrupt merger between our defense agencies, Department of Defense, Department of Energy, Department of State, and the big five arms dealers. So this is something that RFK has been talking about since the beginning, and as you just mentioned, that comparison that Scott Adams made, 
um, the other two candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy and President Trump, have been making the same points. Yeah, and, and I think it's really fascinating um, that that he is more of a populist um, candidate rather than you know some people are calling him more of a of a traditional or old school Democrat, um, but he really is uh, coming across more of uh, more of a populist, which is the description of of Donald Trump as well. Um, do you think that his candidacy? is going to in any way change or reshape the Democrat Party in the same way that Donald Trump has, um, I think, completely um, changed the identity and the the scope of, of um, who is actually part of the GOP? To the extent that his campaign will change the party, I think, is unclear right now. Um, what is clear is that the Biden administration is making a point of rejecting Mr. Kennedy's requested Secret Service protections, it would fully be within the law for Mr. Kennedy to have Secret Service protections. And Mr. Kennedy has hypothesized that the DNC is attempting to deplete his campaign resources so that he has to pay the exorbitant fees for private security um, instead of getting Secret Service protection. So if the DNC has anything to say about it, they're not going to be changed by Mr. Kennedy. But the electoral landscape, it's very clear, has been changed already. A poll that came out in mid-late July showed that Mr. Kennedy had the highest favorability among all presidential candidates and one of the lowest unfavorability ratings of all the major candidates. So he's changed the electoral landscape for sure, but to the extent that it'll change the party, I think is unclear. Yeah, and and certainly I, I would agree with you, and and I would think that if the DNC had anything to say about it, um, that they certainly would not want uh, Kennedy to succeed. And they're looking at whether it's uh, Biden or my my personal thought is that Gavin Newsom is just waiting until um, something, uh, whether it's uh, something with Hunter Biden, whether it's an impeachment, whether it's some medical issue or something with uh, Joe Biden to have to get out. Uh, Gavin Newsom is waiting in the wings, and they would much prefer someone who was as aggressively progressive as Newsom and the Biden administration has been comparatively with the politics and policies and perspectives of someone like RFK Jr. Uh, but at the same time, the the GOP and the establishment and the way that um, that really the party was trending so left um, in 2016, uh, they, in the same way, the establishment GOP uh, didn't want Donald Trump either. Um, and, so, and obviously he overcame that, but he also won the nomination, ultimately won the election in 2016, and then uh, brought in so many more people um, into the base. And so uh, probably it, it would depend on how successful um, RFK Jr. is in terms of his campaign. But um, but do, do his policies and some uh, the way that he is prolifically going out on media, he has this massive following, um, even if he doesn't win the race um, for and the nomination for uh, the, the Democrat ticket, what does that do overall to the landscape of those who would be even, you know, let's say, just not Republican, so independent, um, even moderate and and Democrat uh, voters to kind of have now this contrast between the extreme progressives of the party and somebody that now does have such a high favorability. Well, his high, his high favorability, I think, is a clear indication that there's a weakness in the establishment of, of the Democratic Party. Um, he's, he's, he's going against the progress, the sort of inevitable progress that the far left has been 
pushing for for decades. And the success that, the, that he's had so far is showing that, that that's not going to happen in the near future, right? So he, he's a liberal, really, in the classical sense. He cares about people interacting with government and having a, a sort of fair reciprocity. Um, he is not into the sort of far-left ideologies that the, that the Democratic Party has been pushing toward for decades now. The, the clearest example, I think, is with regard to climate. Um, he is an environmentalist. He's known for his work on the Hudson River in the 90s, cleaning up the Hudson River through organizations such as Waterkeeper and Riverkeeper. Um, but he does not subscribe to the, the clearly ideological so-called climatist ideology. Um, so it, it's a clear indication that, that the more establishment far left Democratic priorities are not going to have success. I'm talking with Harry Shearer, who is a contributing editor at the American Conservative, and his great piece, The Other Populist in the Race, uh, is at theamericanconservative.com. And uh, Harry's work has been featured in the Washington Examiner, Newsweek, and many other publications. And so, um, so, so let's talk about RFK Jr.'s policies then in contrast um, to Biden. And I think, you know, everybody in um, who has been aware of him in, in, in the media sense, um, the biggest thing that has stood out, at least at least to a lot of people, what I'm seeing um, in some of the social media and, and other things is the COVID tyranny and the fact that he has um, completely rejected the Democrat leftist narrative on COVID, on censorship. Um, you know, you mentioned on, on governor uh, or uh, government surveillance, as well as, um, you know, some other things. And so from a policy perspective, um, where does he actually overlap in um, in terms of where the right would generally be, like on COVID tyranny and censorship versus uh, the contrast with the left? That COVID was a very formative time. I mean, it was a formative time for all of us, but a formative time, especially for RFK Jr. It was clear that the Biden administration was colluding with Facebook to get RFK Jr.'s account removed from Instagram. So I think that that, that experience in itself was, was probably a big factor in him deciding to actually throw his hat into the ring. Um, he's very interested in the protection of civil and political rights, civil especially being free speech, political rights being freedom of association and assembly. So he's, he's, he brings his campaign messaging back to these more fundamental issues. Um, he, he talks about his candidacy as a unifying force. Uh, of course, uh, Biden attempted to do the same during his campaign. But I think that the consistency of him consistently referring back to foundational American principles, I think, is more compelling than, than President Biden's, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. I mean, he, he definitely articulates a constitutional um, originalist position more so, at least, um, in terms of articulating um, America's founding, um, his love of the Constitution, and, and some of these things. I listened to the full um, two hours uh, conversation that he did in a Twitter space uh, probably about a month ago with uh, with Elon Musk. Uh, did you listen to that? I don't know if, if, if you had had a chance to listen to I that. I did not have a chance to listen to that, no. Okay, it was um, it, it was really fascinating to me because um, he he was so open to just talking about everything. I mean, it was the most kind of fireside chat in a 
2023 era to have that on on Twitter now X, um, but in uh, in a space and with somebody like um, like Elon Musk who is kind of interviewing, but sort of sort of just this back and forth and. Um, and and what struck me as well was how um, congenial his personality is. And so um, you actually got to meet him um, to uh, to go more into a deep dive for this article. And was this the first time that you uh, that you had met Kennedy? It was, yes. Yeah. So so what was your impression of him personally then? Yeah. So talk about that experience. Sure. I, I mean, he there was no indication that there was a topic that he was not willing to talk about. In fact, um, there's a part in the piece in which I we were talking about social issues, specifically abortion. Then we got to physician-assisted suicide. And that that experience, I asked him about the cultural pretext of physician-assisted suicide. There was a pause for 19 seconds. I, I counted it back later. And wow. then he said, I don't even like to think about that issue. So he, he, has, he responds really emotionally to some of these issues. Um, especially the issues about which he cares the most, as I mentioned before, but but then some of these other um, issues that are not sort of bedrock um, topics for his campaign, um, he takes it very seriously. He takes it personally, and I think again that that personal impact is due in large part to his personal history in American political life. Right, so he he comes from the most storied, legendary political family in modern American history. And one of the more compelling things about him is that when he talks about these issues of diplomatic history, such as his uncle JFK picking up the red phone to talk directly to the Kremlin, um, he's talking about it not merely as something that he read in a history book or heard about from friends, but as something that he experienced in real time. So he, he can communicate that and he leverages that in his messaging. Yeah, and, and I mean, what a fascinating uh, life that that he's lived in. Um, and and I've read some of the um, the articles and other things on um, some of his background, and you know, he has he has a very storied background as well, not just from coming from this. Um, you know, from from the Camelot uh, legacy family and um, you know, being a, a legacy old school Democrat heritage, but um, but also some of the um, you know the personal challenges that he had in his um, his personal life and his family. Um, did he talk about that at all and how um, some of his formative years uh, shaped his perspectives? He did. I asked him about the role that his faith played. Um, in his drug addiction. So he had a 14-year drug addiction that started shortly after the death of his father in 1968. And he said that it's, it, it's really the whole ball game his, his faith was um, in terms of getting out of his drug addiction. And then I, I, didn't, I really didn't ask for much detail, but he was very willing. He, he went into the whole background about the 12-step program in which he still participates and is very transparent that he's getting on the phone every day talking to people in that program. Um, and so it, he's, he has a, a sort of vulnerability about his personal life, about his faith. He talked in great detail about uh, the sort of Catholic devotional practices in which he was steeped throughout his childhood. He talked about getting up and offering his day to the Lord in a morning offering, praying the rosary, going to Mass, praying before and after meals— so he's going into great detail about that. And then the language that he adopts today is is very much connected to that 12-step program uh, in terms of sort of holistic transformation. That, that's sort of the way that I've characterized it. Hmm. 
And I'm talking with uh, Harry Shearer, who is a contributing editor at the American Conservative about uh, the other populist in the race, which is the title of his great piece in that same publication about RFK Jr. And uh, and, and so obviously his his faith then is um, is Catholic. And and so we've seen uh, how faith has or in my my opinion has not uh, impacted the current sitting president, uh, President Biden, and how, uh, you know, he would profess to be a Catholic on one hand, but then is, um, you know, very pro-abortion and, um, you know, some of the other things that would be fundamentally inconsistent with um, some of the tenets of of uh, that that faith. And so when so going back to the abortion topics and physician assisted suicide, did he talk about how his Catholic faith faith interacted with his policy perspectives on that? And what was his response after the 19 second silence? So I framed the abortion question as what has your progression on the life issue been? And he immediately referred to um, his growing up years as an environment in which um, there were honest disagreements. Uh, that's that's the way that he phrased it, or, or that it's a contested issue or it's a difficult issue. And he made reference to his aunt Eunice Shriver as someone who was pro-life. Um, so it, it, he's, he doesn't really get into more detail, at least during our interview, didn't get into much detail about uh, sort of, you know, the, the clear inconsistencies there. Um, but then, of course, we saw reporting um, on Sunday evening. He was talking to an NBC reporter and he volunteered the issue of uh, a 12 week ban, three month ban, uh, this notion of viability. And then, uh, regrettably, his campaign came out with a statement a couple hours later saying that he misunderstood the question and um, encourages a woman's right to choose and so on. Um, mm, so, but but if you watch that video, it, it, I mean, it didn't, when I watched the video, it, it didn't give me much of an indication that he was misunderstanding the question. I thought it to be just as lucid as many other the topics that we discussed in our interview. And then with regard to physician assisted suicide, um, I was asking him about the change that's coming up in Canada, March of 2024, Canada is going to be extending provisions for what they call medical assistance in dying, the new euphemism for physician-assisted suicide. They're going to be extending those provisions to people with mental illness. And so this was something that struck him very deeply. He admitted at the end that he didn't know it was an issue, I mean, which is uh, supposedly in politics the number one thing you're not supposed to say. But again, the sort of vulnerability that he has with these issues, he's willing to say when he doesn't know about a specific issue. But I will say it struck him very deeply um, and said that he has to think about it. He was aware uh, and has experienced in his own family the multi-generational impacts of suicide and, um, let's just say, was, was very concerned. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's so fascinating. Um, and there's so much more I could ask you about, um, Harry Scherer. And thank you so much um, for spending so much time this morning talking about this in-depth interview. I, I think that um, that RFK Jr. comes across very authentic because of that vulnerability and also trustworthy because he's willing, uh, like a good lawyer, to say, you know, when he doesn't know something, he's, he's very upfront with that, unlike a politician that maybe thinks they always have to uh, say that they know about everything or have an opinion on absolutely everything. Um, so it's going to be really fascinating to me to, to watch this race unfold. And uh, so you can read this article, The Other Populist in the Race, at theamericanconservative.com. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as you are all very much aware, the left is attempting to weaponize, well, virtually every system in America. And that includes the corporate structure with a lot of this diversity, equity and inclusion and um, a lot of these different uh, training programs and uh, other things that uh, some of these corporations have to put their employees uh, through. And and it's really fascinating to me uh, why they care so much about a human rights campaign uh, scorecard and uh, some of these other things. Um, but I, I wanted to uh, talk with my good friend, uh, James O'Keefe, who is the founder of OMG or O'Keefe Media Group, um, specifically about Best Buy. Uh, there was a story that he broke through a whistleblower that came to OMG about how uh, Best Buy had a leadership training program that specifically excluded white people. And it was on their website. And then uh, as of yesterday, uh, Best Buy had taken that down. And so he joined me for a pre-recorded interview that was really fascinating. And I want to play it for you now. So this is uh, James O'Keefe from OMG. So joining me now is James O'Keefe, who is the CEO of the O'Keefe Media Group, or OMG. And uh, James, the latest story that you've broken is about Best Buy and their leadership training program that specifically excluded white people who didn't qualify. But the latest breaking on that is uh, that now Best Buy has completely scrubbed that from their website. So uh, what is going on with this story and uh, what have you been able to uncover? Well, thank you, Jenna, for having me on. It's been a busy week in the United States, um, so I appreciate you focusing on the story. This was a whistleblower within Best Buy, uh, an immigrant who was a Christian, and uh, he was part of the Geek Squad, which is owned by Best Buy, and he was mandated to participate in this morning uh, LGBTQ seminar or something like that. And he 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 brought it to the attention of his supervisor and his supervisor said, no, you have to participate in this seminar. You have to be involved in this. So he said, well, can I, can I post pictures of my Bible or my Christian cross or, it, or if it's a Quran? Can he, and they said, no, absolutely not. There's a difference. So he came to OMG. Um, I interviewed him. He's a pretty courageous guy. And this was on the heels of another story within Best Buy featuring a document with McKinsey and Company, a consulting group, where you can't apply for the program if you are white. They exclude certain racial candidates. So that's that's racism. And 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 this has been created like a firestorm of whistleblowers within corporations to come to me. So we just broke that. And then today we learned that Best Buy has, has taken this policy, this McKinsey and Company uh, policy prohibiting white applicants off their website. And and many people are saying this could be the next you know, Bud Light moment. That's a uh, That impacted the stock of Anheuser-Busch. So corporations have to tread lightly. Otherwise, they might receive the firestorm of Christians and conservatives. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment. And, and I hope to follow it up with a lot of other whistleblowers like Ennis, who come to me with inside information. Yeah, and I'm really thankful for the uh, real journalism that you're doing at OMG. Uh, these stories are so important because it's it's such a fascinating problem and and perspective. I think when you look at these corporations that clearly they know their consumer base, like Bud Light. Uh, nobody who is is the average consumer of Bud Light wants a transgender dude in a dress on their beer can, but there is some kind of 
a structure within the whole corporate universe that is pushing all of this uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense. And so there's pressure on these companies. And the only way really is transparency through journalists like you, but then the the consumer base to actually push back and say, no, we have other options here, right? That's right. And, and I think a lot of the uh, the corporations are, are faced with this uh, with difficult choice, which is uh, which is to, how do they deal with their consumers and customers? They want to stay out of politics. Many of them, but uh, some people on the left want them to get into politics. But in the case of Anis Sujak, a Serbian immigrant who escaped the war-torn country, comes to the United States, believes in freedom. He had tears in his eyes when he was talking to me. It really, really amazing to see these people who take a leap of faith to expose what needs to be exposed. It wasn't about the LGBT flag and the Geek Squad office, that's that's not what it was. It was about the discrimination against him due to his religious beliefs. He's not allowed to, to, to wear a cross or talk about the Bible because in the words of his supervisor, it's, it's, quote, different. So that's, to me, what it's really about. And I think a lot of people, Jenna, have no place to go to uh, air their grievances, the, the media has let them down, the, the, the Department of Justice or the legal system in our country has let people down in a major way. So I think it's really the solution is at the hearts and minds of the American people, or Sam Adams once said, ignite brush fires in the minds of men. We have to go back to the grassroots. We have to go back to the citizens who, who feel uh, forgotten and there's no, there's no place where they can tell their stories. So OMG right now is trying to be a clearinghouse of citizen journalism. What's different about it is um, I'm not centralizing it. These people are not on my payroll. I'm trying to empower people to tell stories, teach them how to do so, and and uh, be there for them. And if, if my DMs are any indication, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of potential citizen whistleblowers and journalists. And that's really encouraging because what we see, of course, from mainstream media is this one-sided narrative that would suggest that the LGBTQ population is somehow like 90% of us. I mean, that's what they would lead us to believe is that literally in every family, there is a trans person or there is somebody queer or there is somebody who wants to have a rainbow flag. And so they put these out um, in all of, you know, the major coffee shops and all of the major uh, corporations uh, across, you know, Target and Walmart and all of these other places to simply push this agenda and this perspective. And so your point that, Conservatives need to stand up and say, this isn't our values. Uh, this isn't representative of true America and the culture. And we do have other options and put these corporations in that tension point between whatever is the perceived or actual benefit of pushing this kind of propaganda versus actually genuinely serving their consumer base. And James, one of the questions that I've never really gotten an answer to is why corporations care about their diversity, equity, and inclusion metric over their bottom line and their uh, their stock value and all of this when it seems like, okay, so you, you don't have a great human rights campaign uh, score. Why does that matter? What's the benefit? That's a great question. I, I think we're still trying to turn, turn the answer. A guy who's done some great work on this is, I think his name is James Lindsay. Uh, he's he's spoken uh, extensively on this, and I encourage people to check out his podcasts. Uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, these firms 
Um, it seems though the CEO of BlackRock walked it back a little bit. He was concerned about the impact on the bottom line. We, we're, we don't know the answer, uh, Jenna, and we're still trying to get to the bottom of what are the players and what are the forces involved in pushing that. Because like you say, as Milton Friedman once said, the only the only purpose a, a company has is to its shareholders and stockholders to turn a profit. So that's interesting. But a lot of it is cultural. And, and just speaking about this story with Best Buy, a, a mandatory morning meeting, which is typically dedicated to talking about Geek Squad and the events of the day was hijacked for this cultural uh, purpose. So um, it's it's where we stand in our society. You know, speaking from experience, I went back to my high school um, uh, uh, school board meeting, my own high school, right? Not 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 as James O'Keefe, the journalist, but just as James O'Keefe, the uh, resident of Bergen County, New Jersey, curious about my high school. And it was a totally different world. I mean, half of the people in attendance were 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 very vocal uh, LGBTQ people, and there there were guys in dresses. And, and um, as far as I'm concerned, I don't I don't really discriminate against any of that it, as long as you don't force it onto children, and as long as you don't tell children to chop their private parts off, etc. It's fine by me, as far as I'm concerned. But seeing half of the auditorium filled. And and and, that, and I consider myself at least uh, still I'm still um, you know millennial I'm still relatively young, but the world has changed and and um, it's now affecting corporations and it's affecting families and it's affecting people's right to speech and 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 right to exercise religion and that's where the encroachment happens and um, and I think the thing that they actually fear Jenna more than anything else is being exposed they hate being exposed. It's, I actually think the one thing communists fear more than anything else, as Whitaker Chambers wrote about in Witness, is exposure. It's not even political punishment or elections or, you know, they just don't want sunlight. So that's what we got to give them is sunlight. Yeah. And, and isn't that ironic that uh, while they expose parts of themselves that we don't want to see, uh, they don't want us to expose the parts of them that uh, really should be seen by uh, everyone who is paying attention to the direction of the culture. And this is why also uh, they are targeting specifically uh, faith based evangelicals and uh, Catholic pastors you know, with all kinds of, of lawfare. They're targeting parents, putting them on you know domestic terrorism watch. They've targeted uh, President Trump now with now four indictments um, among, you know, others, um, myself included. Um, I mean, and, and this is just all an attempt on so many different levels, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in the courtroom, whether it's outside of a Planned Parenthood, to say that the narrative that they prefer prevails and we are going to silence you and shut you up and make this painful for you unless you are willing to bow to our agenda. And so whether it's um, this type of lawfare or whether it's just um, trying to target like the whistleblower Best Buy to say, yeah, the flag is fine, the LGBT flag, but you can't wear a cross. That is discrimination and it's targeted particularly at conservatives. Yes. And it needs to be exposed. And if you're watching this and you are witness to this, you have a decision to make. Do you follow your conscience and possibly risk being targeted? Ennis followed his conscience and, I think that his is now that, you know, there's lawyers involved and supervisors involved, but Best Buy is scared. 
And I think we have to make a choice as Americans. We are quickly and we are very rapidly descending to, to God knows what it's all, you know, your, your life over the last 24 hours. One of the things that strikes me about the whole circumstance is that first of all, you're right about the FBI. They've, they've targeted Catholics on more than one occasion. We've now learned, right. The attorney general said it was isolated. And then it turns out there was something happening on the West coast as well, involving Catholics being targeted, but it's sad, you know, that, that, Republic, the Democrats are indicting their political opponents for, for what appears to be ostensibly political reasons. So if the Republicans do the same thing, right, because that's what a lot of people want to have happen, then we're kind of, you know, well, I mean, where does that how does anyone win in that scenario? And if Republicans don't do the same thing, then then you only have one side of the aisle doing it. So we're really headed towards some dark times. I don't think the answer lies in politics, because like I just said, either of those outcomes is really bad. They're both banana republic style outcomes. There is no winning outcome there. So it seems to me the only winning outcome, I've been saying this for years, but I'll I'll say it again in in the context of what's happened to you and the context of happening to a lot of other people. They're indicting lawyers, too, by the way, which is interesting, is is that we have to go back to the hearts and minds of people. We have to, we have to expose and educate people. That, that's, if that doesn't work, then we're headed towards the, the road of political coercion, you know, incarcerating people because we don't agree with them. That, that's, not, that's not America. I know everyone knows this, but the solution is what we all disagree upon. We have to expose what's going on in corporations, in government, in the administrative state, in schools and school boards, we need a, we need a movement of, of exposers. Um, and it's going to require courage and it's going to require the will of the ordinary man to, to, to follow his conscience and do what is right. And that's not easy, but listen, we're headed towards a dark path and the, and I, and I, people like Ennis in this Best Buy story, we need like a thousand Ennises. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And and I have never subscribed to the idea that we should have this binary choice or really a double bind that the left is presenting us that either uh, Republicans just sit back and do nothing and say, well, you know, we can't uh, do to them what they're doing to us, or we give them measure for measure. And so because, you know, Trump got impeached, then day one, we impeached Joe Biden. And we just, because that will be the the, the breakdown completely of our constitutional republic by our own hands. And so a lot of people in the context of, for example, um, the bar complaint um, and, and many bar complaints that were filed against me just for representing Donald Trump, a lot of people have asked me, well, why aren't you filing bar complaints against all the leftist lawyers who've represented Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden? And I'm saying, why would I do that? Because what happened to me is totally unfair and it is the weaponizing and criminalizing of the practice of law, frankly, um, what we've seen in the last 24 hours, especially um, with these indictments against lawyers. Uh, but in the context of weaponizing the bar system, I'm not going to go after a fellow lawyer's bar license just because mine was uh, was come after. We have to do better than that. And I think we have to come back to, like you said, James, exposing uh, what's really going on and coming back to where uh, is the truth and how do we rebuild the conscience of a society that is founded on true principles of freedom and liberty and freedom of the press, petition uh, for redress, a freedom of speech, free exercise of religion. I mean, 
all of these things that used to be a hallmark of American society, we have lost that completely. And so how would you say um, from a journalist standpoint, and I know you've faced a ton of persecution, uh, lawfare, political opposition for freedom of the press. Um, how would you encourage people to stand up firm and engage in our freedoms by rejecting this double bind and saying we have to actually pursue what is true American liberty? That's a good point. Well, well said. Um, an astute observation that a double blind or false dichotomy, it seems like we're all being put into that, you know, either do exactly what the evil people are doing or don't do it and then you only have one side doing it. And that's why I reject politics. I think our system, as Charles Murray wrote so eloquently, um, you know, our system is in a state of sclerosis. Solutions are now, in my opinion, outside of the political process. We are governed by an administrative state, unelected bureaucrats, that those people need to be exposed. And, and Jenna, I do think our legal system is broken. Um, I do. I've been through it. I've been sued, I don't know, 30 times now. I've been raided by the FBI. I'm one of the few American journalists in our country's history to be raided by FBI agents over a diary belonging to the president's daughter. Um, Bartnicki v. Vopper, 2001, Pentagon Papers from the 60s. Those cases make it fully legal for a journalist to receive information that somebody else obtained as long as the journalist played no part in the interception. But the FBI raided me anyway. So it, it and, and, and you're I know you can't comment, but you're going through it, 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 it literally right right this moment. You're, I can't imagine the psychological impacts to you, but I think you would agree or maybe I'll just say it, you don't have to nod or, or shake your head. It, it's different when it hits you. It, it's so hard to explain the, the psychology of being targeted. You can read books about it. You can watch the movies where the people with windbreakers go, you know, breaking into your house. But when it when they point guns at your head. Um, and when they put you through 12 depositions and when you're forced to raise millions, I think my legal bills, re, re, you know, last year were $6 million a year. Do you, do the sacrifice, the, 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 the time away from your loved ones to go on the road, raising all that money. It, it's a, it's, it's, it, it, every man has his breaking point and that's what they want. They want to break you. That's the whole point of the exercise is the process is the punishment. And what's the solution to that? Well, you have to, with a smile on your face and, you know, I'm a, you're a believer in God. So am I, you have to stand against the tidal wave with a smile on your face and just do the right thing, no matter what. Um, and, and, and live not by lies and, and not be afraid. Uh, that's the solution is to keep going. Because if you keep going, as I always say, you'll send a message to other people who are watching you, watching Jenna saying, well, what's going to happen to Jenna? What's going to happen to James O'Keefe? But if you keep going and you keep doing what you love and fulfilling your mission, then you send a message to those people that are watching you rooting for you. And the message is that they can do it too and they can survive. And that's, you know, listen, we're we're headed towards some dark times. We're already in dark times, but I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of good people out there. There's a lot of great people out there who are afraid, and those people outnumber the people who are, you know, who are trying to shut us down. So I, I would appeal to the, the conscience of those good people and empower those good people, equip those good people um, to go expose. I know it's a cliche. I've been saying this for ten years, but 
I, I think it's the only solution we have left as, as Americans. And OMG is there to help you. We're monitoring our tip lines and sending out hidden cameras. Um, and uh, frankly, one of the things that needs to be exposed more than anything else, in my my opinion, is the is the justice system, is the legal system in this country, which which no one can afford. What you know, millions and millions of dollars in legal costs, and and uh, once you're indicted or, or targeted unfairly. Well, courage begets courage, and uh, you certainly have had a lot of courage, uh, James O'Keefe, and standing up for what is right. And um, as much as I love being a lawyer and I believe in the practice of law in this country, um, you believe in the practice of free and fair journalism in this country. And I'm very grateful uh, that you are standing firm and uh, that we still can you know, lock arms and say, OK, conservatives can still stand firm in this country. And um, And you're right. When they target you. It's very different. And I think everyone who is watching uh, will will see, you know, how do they treat uh, those who are willing to stand up with courage and say, here is the truth of the American system. Here's the truth about God. Here's the self-evident truth about the difference between men and women. Here's the truth about how you can't uh, have a diversity program that excludes whites. Here's the truth about what pastors can do outside of abortion clinics. Here's the truth about what parents can do um, in terms of appealing to their own children's education, knowledge of what goes on in the classroom. We are Americans and we have to stand firm. So thanks so much uh, for everything that you are doing uh, with OMG. How can people find you, support you and get involved? Well, thank you. Um, the main thing is we're launching all of our all of our classes in citizen journalism end of the month. So if you go to our website, O'KeefeMediaGroup.com, you'll be able to purchase those and learn how to be a journalist. We're sending out hidden cameras, doing seminars, and uh, you can you can support us there or just DM us on Twitter. Most people actually just submit tips on Instagram DM. And that's where we found um, Ennis and Jenna. Good, you know, good luck to you. And, and uh, uh, you know, try not to let them get get to you uh, because um, it's a fight and um, the truth will prevail. Even I've seen it not just they say, well, the truth will prevail, you know, after we die. I, what, I, I the world is round. And I think that. Uh, even even in this lifetime, people get what's coming to them. So always do the right thing. Stick by your moral principles. Thanks so much. And I agree. The truth will prevail. And I'm very confident in uh, my and firm in my faith. And so I'm going to trust the Lord through this process. And I'm so grateful for everyone like you and so many others that have reached out over the last 24 hours uh, with their encouragement and support. So your friendship uh, is really uh, special to me. And I appreciate that so much, James. Um, so thank you so much for what you do and for your support as well. Thank you, Jenna. All right. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. That was my good friend, James O'Keefe. And uh, you can always reach us at Jenna at AFR.net. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And in just the last few minutes uh, that we have this morning together, I just wanted to say thank you so much uh, to everyone who has reached out uh, to me personally and to our AFR family uh, through our comments line and uh, just extended uh, prayers, encouragement and support uh, for me going through this process that truly is attempting uh, to criminalize the legal practice. And uh, and so I just wanted to give you um, kind of an update 
update, I guess, of, of how I'm doing personally. And I just feel so encouraged, uh, frankly, by how much the greater Christian and conservative community has really um, rallied around uh, around me and everyone else who is being uh, targeted in this process and has come together and uh, provided uh, resources and support and, um, and frankly, prayer. And so I want to use this as an opportunity to praise the Lord in all of my circumstances and uh, be a testimony to his faithfulness and trusting him. And I also want to use this as an opportunity to advance the principles of liberty and true conservatism, because we can always say what we think, but we will live what we genuinely believe. And um, for those of you who are regular listeners, um, I started out this this week, the uh, this broadcast this week, talking about um, Philippians 4, talking about rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. And the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that is a that is how we are supposed to live the Christian life. And um, and so I don't get on this broadcast simply to encourage you in your Christian life while uh, not trusting in the Lord myself. And so um, this to me is an opportunity on a crazy worldwide scale, frankly, um, that I have a platform and an opportunity to show the world what it means to have joy in everything. And so while, of course, um, there are unknowns in this process, there are um, a lot of people (laughs) that are involved um, in helping me, and I'm so grateful for everyone on my legal team, um, I I am truly going to walk through this saying now, uh, when there are so many unknowns, I will continue to trust the Lord. He has always brought me through um, all of my circumstances. And we don't, as Christians, just praise the Lord when things um, are good that we perceive as good, but we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I'm one of those people. I love him and I know that I'm called according to his purpose because I am a Christian and I uh, believe in the truth of the Lord. And I also believe in um, our U.S. Constitution and I believe in uh, the rights that it protects for every American, including me. And I'm very grateful uh, for all of the wonderful uh, conservative friends and, you know, everybody, uh, names that you know, names that that you don't know, but um, Dinesh D'Souza, Mark Levin, Jay Sekulow, Dan Bongino, Mark Meckler, so many more have reached out to me, are supporting me, um, care about me as, as a friend. And, and that to me shows the the community of believers that um, we truly are a part of and why the church is so important um, and why being grounded in our faith is so important. And so thank you uh, to everyone who has reached out. You can go to Jenna at AFR.net. Um, I also do have a, a gifts and go page. We have over 3,000 prayers um, that have been received on that page. You can go to givesandgo.com slash forward slash support Jenna. And um, I've, I've been reading all of these. My team has, um, and it's amazing. And I would just um, really appreciate your prayers through this process. And I'm grateful for the American Family Radio Network, um, Tim Wildman, Allison, and uh, Abe Hamilton, everybody there. They're standing uh, firm with me. And um, that's what Christians do. 
So we'll get through all of this together and I will join you each and every morning because this is what I am called to do in my ministry. And I'm not going to let a day go by that I don't do what the Lord has for me today. So make it a great day. Have joy in the Lord. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.